here again with Sam Carrington. Hi, Sam. How are you? Very well indeed, John. You? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. I'm all right. I'm uh, in lockdown at the moment, so getting a little bit bored of that, to be honest. A little bit bored of remote working, a little bit weary of the whole thing. Oh, don't. I, I don't think anyone's had an easy lockdown. Everyone's got their own stuff, you know, to deal with, but quite a lot of people in London that I speak to are slightly over it now in a way like it's but um there we go this isn't a political podcast maybe we'll have this conversation another day but um yes lockdown tough (laughs) yeah I can't complain too much but I'm just a bit bored of it to be honest and and my workplace is doing quite well in terms of trying to keep people's morale up help us feel connected help us you know as Christmas is coming up as well help us sort of feel you know some of the joy of that we usually muck about a bit at Christmas and have a party and stuff like that and I think that links into why why I asked you to come back on the podcast because I know you've been doing a lot of work with your smoke experience in working with groups to try and keep morale up look after well-being look you know get involved in training and and that kind of stuff so mm. we said we were going to talk about three things three ways that we can use comedy and bring comedy into the workplace so do you want to just talk us through what those three things are and then we'll go through each one spend a bit more time talking about each of those three things absolutely right so sorry sam i should have just said uh, for people that don't know you are a stand-up comedian i should have just mentioned that yes that's that's correct stand-up comedian and uh, uh run a company called smirk experience that is correct and the three things i'd like to discuss will be staff well-being leadership training and away days okay that'd be interesting to see how comedy comes into all of those let's start with the first one then staff well-being which we've already touched on of course just you know with the lockdown situation indeed in what way does the comedy come into that right so i think the mental health implications of this lockdown will take years to iron out and there are lots of places obviously at the government's request are now encouraging people to work from home and most careers now with how technology has advanced in the last 10 or 20 years mean that it's perfectly possible to be able to do your work from home but I think different people are coping with it in different ways. I mean, if you're in your 40s and you're married with kids and you've got a nice house in the country and a study and kids that know not to disturb mummy or daddy between these hours, then you might think, I don't know why I kind of hacked in and out of London for three hours a day for the last 20 years of my life. This is okay. And if that's you, good luck to you. But I think there's a lot of people that see offices as a kind of social hub. You know, you go in and, you know, Jackie's having a, cutting a birthday cake. Do you want a bit of cake? Sing a happy birthday. Or next week, Graham's leaving and they're having a drink down the road. I found when I worked in an office as well, you could actually go to the pub and find out as much about an office in an hour drinking with the right person as it takes you to to do a month in an office. 
So um, quite a lot of the workforce are obviously kids who see it as a social hub, as a sort of base to go out for a drink in the evening. So lots of people are really struggling with it. Some people might live by themselves. So, and quite yeah, a lot I also of, thought as well, I mean, a lot of people meet their partners at work. A lot of people yes, they do. Make, make very deep and rewarding friendships at work. I kind of wonder, are mm. we going to get like the opposite of a baby boom at some point? Because nobody gets <laughs> nobody gets to hook up. I mean, people can't go to disco, yeah. discos. I was saying discos like I'm about a thousand years old. What are the, you know, <laughs> dance halls? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I, I just we're going to get the opposite of a baby boom at some point. The population dwindle because nobody has, has been able to meet anybody new for the past few months, you know, or, or, or years, as you say, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. And even now, like friends of some friends of mine's wives have hardly left the house since March. Like I've said, oh, let's just go go to the park and walk the dog, and they've said. Oh, yeah, you know, Becky's not really been going out. I mean, it's, you know, serious psychological stuff, I think, is going on. And where you've got some sectors that have been really badly uh, affected by COVID, there's quite a lot of firms, especially in the city, whose bottom line almost hasn't changed. It's just everyone's working from home. So what that means is that staff well-being is now a real kind of buzzword for um, lots and lots of places. I was fortunate that I could diversify a little bit. For um, until this year, most of the revenue for Smirk Experience came through running workshops in companies on the transferable skills between business and comedy, which I think we'll go on to talking about in a minute. But a lot of that has stopped. I, I moved online with either with an online course and with a um, live webinars, but I noticed around I don't know when it was. So because obviously we kind of came out of lockdown, people had August off. It was that blasted second lockdown, you know. I think so many self-employed people had just about weathered the storm of the first one and, and we're thinking, you know, let's have a good run in into Christmas and we'll keep the lights on. And then this second lockdown came along and I've noticed that lots of firms that I was dealing with just stopped any external uh, training. They, it was just, in fact, not only stopped it, some of the head of L&Ds who were fans of my work were actually made redundant. Oh, no. Which, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's not exactly a um, ringing endorsement of the company planning to suddenly plough a load of dosh into that if the person who's spending it isn't even there anymore. So I spent, yeah, a, a couple of months sort of September, October, just kind of alone at sea with not not seeing any land on the horizon and no wind in the sails, thinking, ah, okay, this, um, this is far from ideal. But thankfully for me, the other part of the company, Smirk Experience, was running live comedy events for the public and for corporates. That stopped, but in June we began doing online comedy shows, 
which we've now done about 10 for the public. Okay, okay. How, how, how on earth does that work? Because, I mean, normally it's the atmosphere of a comedy gig, other people laughing makes you laugh, you know, very much you need yes there is something about that atmosphere that the comedian creates throughout their set i can't imagine how you could possibly pull that off virtually well well i did a couple as an act for other people's which and obviously the whole time you're anywhere as an act you're always thinking what works and what doesn't and there are some things that you can do which mitigate that the difference like for example if you encourage people to leave their microphones on and you encourage them to laugh that means that you can actually hear other people laughing at the comedy shows which encourages you to laugh there's a slight delay on it and i'm not for a second saying that anytime soon these shows are going to replace live shows but that said there are clear benefits for acts and for audiences that live shows don't have i can envisage a world where online shows actually survive post-covid yeah i think if it's a if if it's a a good enough experience and it's qualitative quality can't say the word qualitatively different from just watching a video then Mm. i can i I see I definitely could be a place for that. And I think generally in learning and development, most of us have seen the explosion of remote training, remote learning events, and that now just being a norm, just being accepted. And there is no way that I'm going to go back to exactly as we were before, whereby no, a program, no. for example, a leadership development program I run had some remote elements, but it's predominantly face-to-face. We've run some remote sessions and we thought, these are bloody good. These are really working. They don't. Re- mm. They don't replace exactly the face to face, but they're they're really good, and they're they're, they're a quality complement, which means that I can now use that face to face time differently. And I think that's. I don't expect us to go back to where we were before in L and D, and therefore I, I guess the same could be true of of comedy. Although I hadn't considered that. Oh yeah, I mean I think it would be really fascinating in about ten years to see what parts of lockdown have just been accepted into life i think in general this lockdown will expedite change that was going to happen anyway in other words things that people were starting to think this is just a way for people to go oh blimey yeah why didn't we why don't we do this years ago like i had a thing i had an infection under my fingernail during lockdown and normally to get an appointment at a doctor's in London, it takes a while. It's not always a convenient time. They said, oh, we're just doing, we're doing uh, phone consultations during COVID. So the doctor rings me up. I start explaining it. And I said to her, do you have, um, do you have a video call on your mobile? And she said, yeah. I said, give me a call back on that and I'll show you. So she phoned me back. I showed, I filmed my finger and she said, I know exactly what that is. I'm now going to email the chemist, go there in an hour and your prescription will be ready. So I did, crash bang wallop, took him, away goes the infection. Think how much like hospital uh, doctors waiting times. Obviously there's some things where they've got to kind of feel around and whatnot, but that is, that could massively cut down the number of people that have to physically go into a doctor's surgery 
And so, yeah, we've now started doing these comedy shows in companies. So going in and, um, well, actually not going in. That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, Re- remotely accessing companies. It, it's really simple. All I do is set up a Zoom call, send whoever's organizing it the login details, and then they distribute it to the guest list. People hop on at the uh, time. In fact, one of the things that's very similar to live comedy, there is, there is now in Zoom a comedy equivalent of trying to get people to sit in the front row of a comedy club, and that is getting people to keep their cameras on while they watch the show, because <laughs> it's exactly the same principle. People think you're, you're just going to take the mickey out of them, so they lurk in the background without their cameras on. But when... You know, but what's really good, what works really well, is if the comic can have some interaction with the people that are on the you, you know Zoom call, and that obviously is the difference between a video and um, you know a pre-recorded video and a live chat. If you've got a pro- professional comedian who's done live at the at Apollo talking to you about you know how many cats you've got or whatever it is you know so that in that respect it is more two-way and in interactive than what you might think it is so yeah i think it might be here to stay so it feels like that kind of unique experience which a live gig which is what's different from a live gig from Mm. anything else i was there it never happened again Exactly, exactly right. It never will happen again for exactly that reason. And, you know, sometimes what, what works well is that if whoever's booking it, normally like an office manager or someone, can give us a few kind of things to take the mickey out of people about, like a few funny stories to say, you know, oh, yeah, Paul, Paul spends thousands of pounds on golf, but he's still rubbish or, you know, whatever it is, or this guy's quite posh and he lives in a big house or whatever, you know, just so you can chat to people about stuff as it goes through, because that makes it a lot more um, personalised than just, you know, riffing through 20 minutes of jokes that you've already written. Obviously, some of it's pre-planned, but, yeah, it's the live interaction which is really good that, that people really enjoy. So yes, and that is a there's all kinds of studies about comedy as a coping mechanism during times of crisis. You know, whatever it is, you know, people. Some people have got quite dark jobs, like um, I don't know. Let me think, like a pool bearer or an or someone who works for an um, undertakers, and they would use comedy to, to get through that and. In a similar vein, a lot of people have been through a lot of terrible stuff with COVID that, you know, to laugh about something is almost to kind of take ownership of it. So I think comedy can play quite a um, quite an important role in all of this. So when we talk about well-being in organisations, you're talking about putting on bespoke comedy events for organisations. That's your approach mm. to well-being. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, I've I've spoken to lots of clients in the last few weeks who've done lots of different things, and so well-being could take the form of yoga sessions or meditation 
or cooking or, you know, all different things like that, you know, that charge the soul up, so so to speak. And I'm obviously a little bit biased, but from my point of view, um, laughter is as good as any and better than most. So you're talking about these comedy shows as being part of a broader well-being offer that organisations can provide their employees and it is something that you wouldn't think of like you say i've seen people do quizzes i've seen people heard about people doing yoga i've heard about you know various things that people try to do to help people feel connected i hadn't thought about a comedy show it just never occurred to me so it's a a very interesting approach what what kind of feedback have you had the feedback's been really good the we uh, the feedback from the audience we i think got like a couple of hundred people that were on a mailing list when we were doing the live shows they've really in enjoyed them the comics themselves have and it's a kind of different genre in a way in as much as you've got things like you can do jokes with uh, different backgrounds if you're quite creative within so do a th- it's never ever funny when you I- explain a joke but i've got this thing about how when it started in this country bbc news 24 would ask members of the public to write to vi- send in videos of questions that the bbc then treated like they were tablets handed from god to moses on mount sinai but the questions were actually gibberish so it's possible to use a BBC News 24 background and then quickly cut to a countryside background when the person's asking the question and then cut back to the BBC background while you're in different characters, if you see what I mean. So think in that respect, it's a different genre. It's a new genre where uh, people can express themselves in different ways. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that it's funny you know that's the only thing that really matters lots of people say when they when they see one i had no idea it was going to be that good now i can see why i can i just hadn't thought about it but i can see why from meetings and quizzes and other kind of things we've had at work where people have tried to create that kind of feeling of connectedness and that feeling of fun uh it Mm. has worked and and you know it's not the same uh as being in the being with the people but there are positives and negatives with that but yeah it's it's an interesting idea that that's the first one around how comedy as you've described can be used in uh organizations to actually help with well-being presumably you don't use the infected finger story in your act (laughs) i haven't done it yet no well some lucky organization might may get that to look forward to i guess if you can uh well, <laughs> never say never. Never say never. <laughs> so, secondly, you talked about leadership development and how that links into that. In terms of, you know, in what way does comedy, stand-up comedy, link into leadership development? Oh yeah, goodness. I think in lots of ways. I think in ways that are actually relevant to the lockdown too. I mean, we do lots of work about resilience training which I think is something that lots of businesses have had to deal with and lots of comics deal with on a on a regular basis. I mean, comics, especially when you start, there's always the threat of dying. 
you know, the the more experience you are dying, obviously, for the uninitiated, obviously, if you're uninitiated, then it wouldn't be obvious. Dying in comedy terms is doing a whole set without getting any laughs. And it's a horrendous experience. It's yeah, To say it isn't pleasant is rather like saying Adolf Hitler was a bit naughty, you know. It's a uh, terrible, it's a terrible thing to happen. And it cuts you to your soul. But the whole thing about resilience training, I think, is that it's not a question of successful people not having anything bad happen to them, any setbacks. It's inevitable that setbacks will occur. The important thing is what you do with those setbacks, whether you see them as an opportunity to to learn how what you take positively from it and move on. I can remember when I first started in comedy being astounded that I would see an experienced comic die a horrendous death when I would have been, you know, thinking of jumping off Waterloo Bridge. And they come off stage and go, cool, they didn't get it, did they? And they say to one of their mates, so anyway, mate, how's the uh, wife and kids? Really? And look at wow. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just completely like, oh, blimey, there it is. And like, just completely be able to, almost like you just take a, a coat off when you come in. Exactly like that. And I would just stare at wonder and think, how did you do that? Yeah, to not to not be thrown by that at all, to just not be just be unfazed. Oh, totally, totally. The confidence yeah, you I need mean, there is incredible. Yeah, just to sort of say, "Whoa, that that didn't work." So, and 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 just like, catch up with a mate just afterwards. But but that is part of the sort of bulletproofing that you need to be successful at something you know like whatever's happened and that and it's also true whether it's good or bad you know if you have a brilliant gig it doesn't make you king of the world and if you have a bad gig it doesn't make you completely worthless you know and on both occasions it's about keeping a level head and keeping your eyes on what it is that you want to be doing at the end of it but yeah i I've read quite a lot around resilience because it's something that we um, take people through. And this year has been a real kind of practice what you preach type thing, you know. <laughs> you, you, you can't tell clients that you offer exercises and mindsets that will help with resilience if then you just spend your whole time crying in bed when something goes wrong for yourself, you know? So you, you have to, you have to take the positives and the learnings. I always remember dying at gigs. I, you, you think to yourself afterwards, right, what on earth happened there? Cause as I said, it's so unpleasant. You don't want it to happen again. And you almost need to be positive to think, right, I'm pleased that that happened because I have learned never to do bang 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 again you know it's you can get used to you know buffing your nails at the end of a good show when it's going well but you're learning spikes when something goes wrong and part of the art of resilience 
is being grateful for that and obviously learning what went wrong and taking it out of whatever you've done where at all possible but also sometimes accepting that there was nothing that you could have done then and you just got to keep going so i mean that would be that would be one of the ways that i think lots of people in business could learn from comedy well what is one of the tricks that you would say then that stand-up comedians can teach new leaders about building their resilience can you give anything specific one of the exercises that we do that i think is really handy is that i write down four scenarios like bad scenarios at work and you can think of anything you like it doesn't matter what it is like i don't know you go onto social media and someone who works for you has made a detrimental comment about you personally and so four of those they could be anything it doesn't really matter what they are and then what you do in the next column is you write a cross at the top and in the next column you write a tick at the top and the exercise is to go through and think of the most negative example that you can think of of that and then a positive example of thinking that you know and so the negative in that situation would be you're not cut out to lead this company and you should resign your position change your name sell your house and move to another country <laughs> or adjusting response yeah. yeah exactly but for the purpose of the exercise it works the more drastic you can do it and then in the uh, positive column you think of something that doesn't put the blame on you like for example i don't know maybe something really bad has happened in that person's personal life maybe you used an analogy in a company speech that would have really offended that person but you had no way of knowing that by using an analogy of driving a car say to talk about something you want to know that that person's pet hamster had just been run over by a car in the driveway or whatever it is you know so you for say four things you think of negative and you think of positive and then the exercise at the end is you get everyone to get a pen and just rub out and scribble out the negative and say this is what your primal brain has been programmed to think, you know, say if you want to go back to evolution or psychology, it's a survival instinct to think of the worst case scenario about what's just happened. Because that's how our ancestors who thought of the worst case scenario were the ones that survived and passed their genes on to the next generation until here we are in 2020. If you think, for example, of one of our ancestors, some form of homo sapien walking through a forest and they hear a twig crack. If you go back to that negative and positive, the negative scenario for that is, my God, that's a predator that's about to eat me. I better run away now. The positive scenario or our negative scenario might be, 
oh, that would sound a little bit dry for this time of year. I didn't actually think that we had 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 so little rain recently, by which time a predator is ripping you limb from limb and you're dead, and the guy that runs away survives. So that is why we are programmed to think predominantly negative thoughts. It's part of our primal brain that's evolved over tens of thousands of years. But... In truth, we don't need to worry about those things anymore because we don't live in a world where we are under such risk. But we've still got hard wiring in our brains that thinks that we should think like that. But once you see the exercise and you see that column crossed out, then and you say, look, this is successful people, professional comedians who've made a career out of comedy for 20 years, they can come off of a gig of 200 people who will hate them, but they don't think that they're worthless or their life's over. They think it was just a crowd who didn't get them and they've got another gig tomorrow night and it will be better. And nine times out of 10, it is better. So that is the sort of exercise with the forms of resilience that I think have worked really well with groups in the past. And, when you explain it to people in those ways, then they kind of get it and they're more positive. So there's definitely something in there around confidence and resilience, as you've described. But there's also, I guess, communication, because comedians are kind of master communicators. Is there something mm. in there that you also teach about how leaders can improve communication, which is obviously one of the most important part of, being, of leadership? Oh, loads. Of, there's loads of stuff in there about that. I always say to people, the one thing that I can never help anyone with is the actual content, because it wouldn't be practical for me to try and become an expert on, you know, banking or insurance or media. Well, I've got some experience in media, so I can tailor that a little bit. I always say that, yeah, that's the bit that I can't help with, but I can with everything else. We do whole sessions on body language, how that, how you can speak to a room in non-verbal communication. Stagecraft is a massive one. Sort of tips and tricks that comedians use to bring performances to life. That is one of the most popular parts of the course. And it appeals to leaders. They don't get so nervous standing up in front of a room full of people. But yeah, ways to put a few bells and whistles on what you're saying. And yeah, that goes back to when I first came up with the idea of the workshops. I was gigging five, six times a week all over the country and reading loads of books. And there were so many tips of, of comedy that I was learning and reading that were just so transferable. Like, so one, for example, would be, they call it painting with strong colours. And what that means is, in, you don't say you like something, you say you love something. You don't say something kind of winds you up, you say something drives you around the bend because audiences go with you. If you're a little bit kind of wishy-washy, then people just kind of sit back with their arms folded and don't really get much takeaway either way. Whereas if you put passion in, there's a saying in storytelling, if you want to elicit an emotion, you have to show an emotion. So to get people to go through a presentation or a speech with a pen and say, right, 
where can you be passionate about this? Where can you put something of yourself? Because the passion is what sells it. I think a lot of us that are in leadership positions are often in positions where we have to present or we have to communicate impactfully. And we know that you can, if you pull that off, it opens a lot of doors. It means that people are much more predisposed to to your message. Plus, they probably erroneously, but they just assume you're like loads more competent just because you communicated so well. And if you get that mm. wrong, likewise, you can blow your competence, competence and credibility, oh, e- yeah. even if you are extremely good, just because you communicated so poorly. So I think it's such an important part of leadership. It really is. And I've worked for some large organizations where there have been very senior people that have gone to where they are, not because of, but in spite of their communication skills and every time they had to address the company everyone's kind of going oh here we go again where there are others like kevin ligo um, he was at channel four for years and he moved over to itv when i was there i mean he was fantastic speaker he was he actually had a world of being a stand-up comic himself for a while and you could tell he just relished it and he was just natural put in little asides and jokes and everyone's falling off their chairs laughing because the whole thing about a corporate environment as well is that you have actually got to be that funny to come across as funny because you're being compared with people that aren't trying to hold sorry mate that is my phone ian sorry mate i'm just in the middle of a podcast with someone yeah it's funny in a business context you haven't actually got to be that funny But one thing that we also take leaders through is to do with personal branding, too, because it's about knowing who you are. And not everyone is funny. And some people make the mistake of thinking that what we do at Smirk is comedy training, but it's not. It's about transferable skills between business and comedy. And people say, ah, what about chucking a few jokes in? I always say, if you're comfortable doing that and you think that might work, then do it. But if not, you then run the risk of getting into sort of David Brent territory, don't you? I was going to say that, yeah. There is that danger, isn't there? Very much. So, yes, it's about knowing... Like, if you want someone who naturally smiles a lot, then... Okay, don't smile so much, but then be aware that you're someone who doesn't smile and maybe use very open body language to counterbalance that. You know, so it's not, you know, just about teaching everyone that comes through a five minute stand up routine that they have to use with their companies. It's not that. It's more simple than that. It's it's about personal branding and knowing what what your natural strengths are, but then combating anything that might be misconstrued in a negative way. I think that's a really important point because humour anyway in the workplace is always a slightly difficult thing you have to be quite careful with and quite skillful, I think, with. And as you say, not everybody is that funny. And even people that are reasonably funny, despite what they might think, they're they're still not necessarily stand up comedians, and I'm no. su- I'm sure you get this a lot of a lot of people who think they can do it, 
because they can be a bit funnier down the pub. It's not yeah, the same yeah, yeah. thing as obviously, like me, listen to me, like what the hell I know. No, no, no. <laughs> no idea. Absolutely <laughs> but right. I, I'm just assuming that uh, stand-up comedy is quite a quite a different level of skill than just being funny down the pub or just being able to stand up and deliver a PowerPoint presentation. So it is. you have to it be is. quite careful about these things, I think. Very much so. Less is more. But, in a, but also in a sort of counterpoint to that a little bit, a small attempt at humour can go quite a long way, but then you kind of come back off that and carry on with what you're doing, if you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, just a, a little brief foray in a little a side and then get back to what you're saying. So, yes, that is definitely what I would recommend when it comes to that. So we've talked about how using comedy can actually be a really useful tool as part of a wider well-being approach for organizations and probably something people haven't thought of that much we've talked about how the skills of a stand-up comedian can actually be very useful for leaders and how they can you know adopt some of those kind of craft of stagecraft etc and, and some of the other things around communication and resilience the other part we said was kind of around away days which people are still trying to do despite everybody working remotely people are still trying to do kind of remote away days how can comedy come into this i guess it's similar to the well-being stuff is it it is i mean we've done a couple of brilliant away days in the past with comedy when you could get people together in a hotel but i remember doing one where i did a, a, a session on the transferable skills between business and comedy up in manchester with an insurance company and it was leading it was the last session before the dinner and then the evening the evening entertainment for everyone was me hosting a comedy show where volunteers from the sort of 200 people who were there came up and did stand up a stand up routine really routine. wow yeah that's really that brave a... that's really brave oh it is oh it is really brave on the smirk experience website there's actually a video of it if anyone thinks is going and having a watch it's the bottom of the corporate solutions page and and yeah the theory of course being that at the end of that if you've done that to stand up and go through a deck of slides that you've done 50 times would be a piece of cake so i mean those are the things that we've done prior to uh, lockdown i've uh, got in, i've spoken at a couple of the uh, virtual conferences that we were talking about earlier and they're great you know i mean are they the same I think in our lifetimes, they will kind of coexist, won't they? I think we are fundamentally social creatures who do quite enjoy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, like there have been people that are making some really interesting strides in the digital space. I was on a call today with a guy who runs now virtual escape rooms. You know those things oh, yeah, where you... Yeah. You like get a clue and you go through to the next room and you got to solve puzzles and stuff. He's he's taken all of this virtually and what a positive guy he was. Goodness gracious me! I mean, just just such a um, 
you know, he was just sort of saying, look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is like the sort of levelling of a playing field. So we're talking about away days and you were saying about actually hosting the away day, actually literally doing stand-up comedy or encouraging others to do stand-up comedy. I wonder as well how useful that is as a technique, I mean, in terms of what, what content they covered. Uh, were they raising issues that might otherwise have been awkward or were they just sticking to plain old jokes? That's a good question. They were doing jokes and routines that they've seen other comics do. So from a, a comedy point of view, they were kind of doing covers, I suppose you would right. say, which still, which still takes bottle to stand up and do. But yes, I mean, obviously, then it would be a whole different thing to kind of like craft a stand-up routine from nothing, if you see what I mean. So, yes. I, I, I was mean, just wondering I'm, if they were if they were raising issues about that were kind of, you know, bubbling under the organisation, if they were sort of raising those issues in, in, in jest as a way of kind of having a, a, a conversation about some of the issues in that organisation. Do you know what I mean? Or were they steering clear of that and just going for laughs? Oh, yeah, they were on this occasion going for laughs. But, yeah, I mean, I guess there would be... You'd you'd have to be a little bit, you know, careful in the current sort of climate of positive discrimination and so on. But I guess if you used comedy from your own point of view to kind of make points about how things make you feel, then that would be a powerful way of being able to communicate a message. It's the old rule in comedy, isn't it? As long as it's something that affected you, it's all right to make jokes about it, which is why Mel Brooks can make films about the Holocaust and everyone laughs because he's Jewish, you know, if someone else did that would be a different kettle of fish. So I suppose, I mean, I must admit, I mean, thinking out loud, that isn't, that isn't an avenue that I've gone down as yet, but I think there might be something um, in that. I think there might be something that I might give a little bit more thought to because obviously, you know, um, DNI and so on is very current, rightly. Lots yeah. of firms are looking at, the uh, makeup of their workforce and a few people have you know it's easy to get your uh, social media team to post something in favor of i don't know what black lives matter but then someone could turn around and say yeah but it's funny that every member of your board is a white middle-class male aged between 55 and 73, isn't it? That's where some firms fall down with social media if they're not actually doing things to back up whatever bandwagon that they're trying desperately to, to jump on, you know. So stuff like DNI, I don't think necessarily gets served by, it doesn't get sorted by just posting a black screen on your instagram account to join in with everyone else if you're not actually doing a great deal to back that up i was i was thinking some about like say the the uh, premiership during the, you know in the wake of the george floyd shooting had black lives matter written on the backs of all of the players shirts in the premiership 
and you think, yeah, I get it, it's solidarity, but I think most black players would prefer it if they brought in an a initiative that would uh, help more black players become football managers because the difference between the number of black players versus the number of black managers is massive, you know. Something like that would be much more long-lasting than just writing Black Lives Matter on the back of a shirt, I would personally argue, but obviously I'm not directly affected by all of those issues myself, so some people might say it's not my place to comment on that. But just as an outsider looking in, putting myself in that situation, something a little bit more kind of concrete and long-term would be make a bit more of a uh, difference. And I think comedy could well have a part to play in that, now you come to mention it. I've caught you on a political political moment today, haven't I? Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, just... Uh, uh, I, I'm just going to end on this on, on this last point because I, I just kind of while you were talking then I was just thinking linking back to well-being and you were saying about if you felt it yourself therefore it's kind of okay material whereas something mm. like diversity inclusion Black Lives Matters obviously is hugely controversial and it's you may do more harm than good if you're having if you're not being doing that very very skillfully but something like if we're thinking about you lot go into that breakout room and together brainstorm a comedy routine about what lockdown has been like for you. Um, are you lot going to a room and talk about blah, 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 or whatever? I could see how it working with that, where it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, there's fewer sort of bear traps in the way. We're all going through this. Um, yeah. And that, could exactly. kind of, that can kind of nicely link back to, to, to the well-being agenda, because I personally have gone through some stuff during lockdown, which is, probably could be made quite funny if... if if I, I, God knows how, but I'm sure some people far funnier than I could could do something with that. So I was kind of wondering if it could be used in that way. Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, part of that would depend on what the what the group is and how much they'd be looking to get involved in those types of uh, things, which might depend on the company or the sector that you would be dealing with. But uh, no, I could definitely see there being a role to play in that. But even if it's not a question of like saying to people, right, you guys go and, you know, write a comedy sketch or something, even tuning in and listening to a pro comedian making jokes about how much he or she has drunk in the last um, seven months during lockdown, that brings you two together at a time when lots of people might feel a little bit isolated. So there's different ways of doing it and different levels that people can get involved. But in some ways, even just laughing at something that you agree with, as you said earlier in the comedy club, you know, laughing is a social thing. There are studies that are done where they show people funny films by themselves and then funny films in groups. And the laughter exponentially rises when you're doing it in a group because it, I think, goes back to some sort of a pack mentality. There's something very kind of primal about sharing a joke with people that brings people together. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we, we've talked a lot about, we, we've referenced a lot of what we've talked about today to covid lockdown and the issues people are facing with those but i actually don't think there's anything that we said that isn't equally applicable 
if there were no lockdown and if people were going to work, we would still have well-being needs. We still have away days. We still have leadership development. So I kind of, I kind of think, although that's the context we've spoken in, because that's the lives we are living at the moment, this is relevant anyway. All of it is relevant. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, mental health is. Yeah, we've just started scratching the the surface of you know the importance of mental health compared, say, with physical health. You wouldn't dream of just walking around with a broken arm, hoping it would heal by itself. But there are, yeah, it, there's still people who struggle to talk about mental health because they think it's some form of you know weakness to admit it i've seen a couple of shrinks in my life and i can honestly say i don't think i've met a single human being ever that wouldn't benefit from talking to someone and i sort of see it like ironing out the creases in your head and you know that is they're all shared experiences. And that, I suppose, in some way goes back to comedy. Some people say that comedy is a sort of cheap form of therapy. Instead of telling a uh, shrink, you stand up in front of a room full of people and say, do you guys think it's weird that if you're talking to someone on the phone and you say, and you've got a bad line and you say, can you hear me? And they say, no. <laughs> Does that... <laughs> Does, does that not strike you as weird? And everyone laughs because they're like, yeah, man, that is weird. You know, it's a sort of existential question that that goes into. It's little things like that that bring people together. And you think, I'm not alone. I've got weird stuff that's in my head. You know, so I honestly do think comedy can play a really important role in all of those things. I think that's a great note to end it on. So thanks very much, Sam. And if anybody wants to follow this up, then Smoke Experience is can be found in the by, you know, Twitter, Googling and all the rest of it. So thank you very much for your time, Sam. And I think it's been a really fun conversation. John, it's always a uh, pleasure chatting and I look forward to the, to the day when we can um, do it together, possibly over a pint one day soon. I, I'm looking forward to that as well. Mm-hmm.